Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And then, and then it was eerily quiet. And then my mind was kind of like, you know, the head in the fishbowl. But it takes me into the bathroom and says, this is how you brush your teeth. Brush, rinse, repeat, brush, rinse, repeat, brush, rinse, repeat. But there were two girls. And it was like, you don't have to give us a ride. You can't fill us snow. He can't refuse us. He'll let us in his car. Thoughts were all alone in this empty void. They got close enough where he said he could see, you know, their eyes and, and how intelligent they seem. This doesn't look right. The adrenaline type creature. This doesn't look right. No pupils, no iris. Three fingers, three long fingers. And this is when the mental torture. And then, and then it was eerily quiet. And that musical interlude brought to you by Luke Skyrider of the Conspiranormal Podcast. And now we're going to join your podcast already in progress. All right, guys. Was that your NPR voice? That was my NPR voice. That was awesome. Yes. Thank you. Uh, thank you. I, I, I've, 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 I've um, unwittingly listened to a lot of NPR in my life. You know, anytime <laughs> that uh, I would go with my father to, um, you know, to the park, walk in the woods, whatever, we would always drive back and we would listen to NPR and it would bore the living hell out of me. <laughs> so, yes, that's my NPR voice. We need some NPR quality. We need to be able to hear the smacks. You know the and and also, <laughs> oh, no, yes. dude, I, I lose my mind. Oh yes, well, guys, we're here on Conspiracy Normal. Rob, how's it going? No, oh, it's going wonderful. All day, but I know, no, it's been yeah, it's been a it's been a, a few minutes. Hour. Um, we were having some intense discussions earlier. Yeah, good, good kitchen conversations. Good kitchen conversations. Yes, mm. Luke, how you been? Awesome, dude. Awesome. I mean, how's life? How's life? <laughs> how's, how's life being a fry cook at Be a barbecue place? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm the motherfucking fry boy. 
<laughs> and we don't have to beep that one out. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it's it's really cool. I mean, I, I don't make as much money anymore, but you know, I, I chose that life because uh, you're all about that life. I'm about that barbecue life. Oh yeah, but uh, I mean, like it, it's so much fun. You know, I I love the the guys I work with. Like I keep laughing all day. You know, I keep cracking up and. And yeah, like I said, I took a, a pay cut and like we, we struggled to get by and like we struggled to pay our bills and everything, you know, and I'm actually like losing money, I believe. <laughs> but, but, uh, I mean, it's just, it, it's a blast, you know, and I don't mind working there. Well, you get to work with interesting people. Yeah. Exactly. Stirring the macaroni and cheese <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> I mean, I, I get to see, I get to see just like the hottest of East Nashville too within in the line all day. And that total, that's one of the things East that totally Nasty. makes it worth it. I mean, there, there are so many babes that they come rolling through there, dude. Like, <laughs> I hope your girlfriend's not listening to this. Oh, right she now. doesn't. Give me a break. I think she listens to Conspiranormal. No way. You never know. She might. What's that supposed to mean? Now, because. Like she's in, she's interested in like serial killers and stuff. I mean, she, well, we we should do a show. We need to do a show on serial killers. That would be a good one. I, I could, I think I could have a guy that we could have a serial killer talk about. Got to talk about Ted Bundy. It'd be a great time for me to fall asleep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, any time against Spirit Orbital is a good time for you to fall asleep, <laughs> guys. We have uh, Greg Bishop coming on tonight. We're going to talk a little bit about his book. It defies language, and I really want to pick his brain about a lot of things UFOlogical tonight. So we're getting back into the UFO topic. But uh, Luke, I understand that there was a topic that you wanted to address. Uh, you're going to have to be more specific. Well, you posted something about oh. America going insane, going yeah, yeah, crazy. Yeah. Okay, yeah, on uh, your Facebook page the other day. Yeah, um, and I didn't quite know what you meant because of my. My comment was, is there anything specific? Because, yeah. you know, it's my, I maintain that it's been going crazy I, for I a while. I was vague booking because I was afraid of being beat up by the guy that went transgender. Okay. <laughs> so I want to unpack this a little bit. So you have a guy that you know. Yeah. Obviously, we're not going to say any names. Uh, you said he's in his, what, late 20s? He's, he's like 26. Okay. And so he decided to become transgender. Yeah. Or become. Well, he's such a popular figure and, you know, in the area too, like everyone knows him that even someone made a, a post in anonymous post, you know, in East Nashville confessions and questions talking about, you know, I can't believe this person is, is doing this because they're making a mockery of the people who actually do do believe that they're like a woman trapped in a man's body. And he's just kind of, sure. which I do, which I also believe because he is, uh, he's looking for that affection and that attention from that, from that crowd. And I'm, I may be wrong. Like maybe hell, maybe he's always wanted to be a woman or whatever, but like I, every, not only me, but like everybody else that's mutual friends all feels like, you know, Hey, I'm just looking for the attention. Kind of an acceptance kind of deal. Well, I mean, yeah. it is in the popular culture right now, and it is in the news. And it, definitely when you have, like, the whole, was it Bruce Jenner, Caitlyn Jenner thing? Yeah. I oh. mean, that that's, it, it's definitely out there. We're, ta- we're talking so, about a guy that, that used to live on the streets and start bonfires, you know, just to stay warm at night and, like, beat people up if they looked at him wrong. 
Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and has done every drug under the sun, you know. Well, that's the thing. Anytime that you have any kind of, um, I want to say, something that's in the popular consciousness that people will probably glum onto that, not that there isn't anything real towards that. And there's something that, since you brought this up, there's something that I wanted to talk about regarding this that I something that I saw that I found very interesting but uh I mean how do you how do you feel about that I mean do you think that the guy's being for real do you think that he's being do you think that it's it's hard to tell man it's hard to tell I mean it's uh, like there's that that gray area right well I I was reading the comments and and a uh another mutual friend because you know you always get to see their comments whenever like a mutual friend posts on something and and she and she was like, "Well, I remember you talking to me about wanting to be a woman like two or three years ago." And then I was like, "Well, okay, well, I guess he's been planning this out for a while, but it's just weird because I well, mean, that's the thing is like you don't know right? because <laughs> like is the atmosphere a little easier for somebody to come out with that now because now that yeah. they feel they're accepted? Yeah, oh yeah, because or is there or is it a fad? Is it something that people would say? Because you may be emotionally wounded in some way, you might feel like that you would be more accepted yeah. in that community. I, I think that that's more the case, really, because, uh, you know, so he he has a, a really broken life and broken childhood, sure. like hardcore. So, um, yeah, I, I think he's finding acceptance in that community because he knows that that's one of the most accepting and the most affectionate places to go. Yeah. I watched something interesting last yeah last night on Vice, um, the HBO show, and this was on transgender as a, as it relates to medical um, medical means to, I guess, reverse or change someone's sex as a child um couple of things there's like two different stages that I see that they did and I didn't think this was going to be as fascinating as it turned out to be <laughs> but it was fascinating uh one of the ones was an 18 year old or what 8 year old girl that Identifies as a boy. And he is going through. It's called hormone blockers. In other words. Well, eight years old, you wouldn't think that somebody would be going through puberty, but they were saying that. This person was going to go through female puberty. So what this hormone blocker does, it's a little. Um. I guess there's a little thing that goes underneath the skin and it has to be changed out every so often. And it prevents the puberty from happening, essentially. I don't know how effective that it is. And then the second stage would be for someone that wants to be a boy or someone that wants if someone wants to be a boy you get a testosterone shot someone that wants to be a boy a girl you would get a estrogen shot 
Okay. And that would obviously physically change you. And when it changed something like the genitalia, it would change the physical appearance. In other words, it would probably give a girl, you know, it was like the upper body strength that a man has. You would have that. Yeah. Because you would have all that testosterone. Smaller boobs. Coming into your, well, no, no boobs at all. You wouldn't have anything. You would never develop because uh, of the oh, testosterone. Oh, it blocks it all together. Blocks right? it all together. Well, no, it, I mean, they disappear, I would think, essentially. Uh, then estrogen would obviously be the reverse of that. And fascinating stuff. Uh, one of the, it starts out with a five-year-old child that is a boy but wants to be a girl, dresses as a girl, wears his hair as a girl, and the mother is being interviewed. Now they're in Texas. Uh, The mother is being interviewed and says that the first time that her child came to her was around the time of about two to three years old. And said, well, mom, I'm, I'm not a boy. I'm a girl. And this is interesting to me because, and this is, this is going to sound really off the wall crazy, but I guess this is the show to do it at, do it in. But it's interesting to me that at, when we talked about in episode 150 about some of like the reincarnation stuff and they talked about how it's kids are usually around about two to three years old that feel that they have lived a life before. And then this little child is saying that they were not, they're not a boy, they're a girl. So, I wonder if there's an aspect of that somehow where they're looking back at maybe, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you would have to establish that there is such a thing as reincarnation. There's such a thing as a past life. But how else does this happen to a child that is that young? You can look at it from a, more of a scientific angle and just say it's uh, it's brain chemistry. I mean that, and that—that's what I subscribe to. Maybe, but I think it's interesting that oh, it's definitely interesting that the ages a, coincide, and that's that right. That time period where you start kind of building an identity of your own naturally, anyways. Yeah, and I'm not making a judgment call on any of this stuff. I mean, the the Vice TV show was just kind of—I mean, it, it was neutral. It just told you what was going on and what what is what happens in these medical procedures. But like, I don't know. I just found that whole thing extremely interesting. I mean, does anybody else want to chime in? Nope. We're done talking about that. <laughs> Let's move on. Luke says move on. <laughs> no, I do agree. That's interesting. But, um, yeah. I mean, I never thought about it that way. Because uh, it, obviously, I mean, you would have to say, well, our past lives are real. Well, let's just take it for granted and say, yeah, they are. Is someone then born 
let's say that they are female in a past life and then they are die and they're reborn as a male, then do they remember that? And then does that influence right if- the way that they feel, especially at such a young age? I, I did not realize until I did not realize that kids that young, two to three years old, could feel that way. I mean, really? Yeah. I I thought this was something that would usually happen maybe right before puberty or in puberty itself. Yeah, I think that's probably what I would have. That's kind of what I thought, too. Because it doesn't seem like the, um, um, I don't know, certain uh, drives and stuff would kick in until then to let you know. But I sure. guess I don't remember being <laughs> being a little anymore because that's so long ago. Sure. And the eight-year-old child that uh, uh, identified as a boy, okay, uh, same case early, early, early in that child's life that they said, I'm not a girl, I'm a boy. So, again, there's that little correlation there between someone that is saying that, I've not this person. I am that person. I just wonder, is there a link somehow? Is it, is it physical? Is it spiritual? Is it chemical? Just a, just a thought. Obviously vice isn't going to go there. Right. (laughs) Obviously. But I, I just thought, you know, well, I'm sure that the show knows somebody who's looked into this at some point. Yeah, it just seems that uh, that there could be something there, or there could not be. Just a thought. All right, well, um, I think we'll call it there, and we will go to the guests. Guys, uh, again, we have Greg Bishop coming on, and we will be right back on Conspiracy Normal. What if I were to tell you that the forms are not the facts? And what if I were to ask you the shape of water? Water is in a state of constant flow and flux, a paradox of weakness and strength. My name is Aaron David, and I am host of Charm the Water, a weekly podcast centering on the occult and mysticism based in Asheville, North Carolina. You can find us at charmthewater.com or iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, your favorite pod feeder. Come holler. <laughs> hey guys, we are back on Conspiranormal. And of course, this is your host, Adam Sane, and uh, producer Rob. Hello, hello. And Luke Skyrider sitting in, Ooh. as usual, taking his nap. <laughs> and we have on the line someone that I am very excited to have on. It's been a long time coming. Uh, Mr. Greg Bishop, and Greg is a long-time ufologist. He's been doing this thing for a while. Greg, welcome to Conspiracy Normal. Thanks very much. I'm not a ufologist. What do you consider yourself? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I write about stuff, and I'm interested, and that's about it. I really don't know. I mean, I, I think in some ways I... I I think of myself as a cheerleader for stuff that I think is important and yeah. 
Um, I, I, after a long time, I've stopped complaining about things I don't like about UFO study and kind of championing the, championing the things that I do like. So I don't know. I guess I'm a writer and a cheerleader. I guess that's what you'd say. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Well, like I was saying before, we were talking had our pre-show banter. You know, you've come up in a lot of conversations. Um, Adam Gorightly has mentioned you. I know that you guys are good friends. Yeah. Uh, Walter Bosley, of course, you know, he's mentioned you, uh, Joshua Cutchin, you guys are friends as well. So, you know, we kind of know and have kind of like circled around each other. So it's a real pleasure to have you on. Uh, I guess that I will start out with asking you kind of like the basic question, uh, how you kind of became interested in the subject of UFOs. Like what's the, what's the evolution there for you? I don't know, uh, except for the, uh, what the answer I always give, and sorry if you've heard this answer before, anybody, you know, any of you guys are listening. Um, my dad used to take us to the library when we were little kids, and he said, get two or three books, and we'll bring them back next week, and then you get, and he just got us in the habit of reading like that, from, you know, from when I could read, probably when I was like four or five or something. Yeah. And, um. I, for some reason I went to, and I, I guess it's, it's section like zero zero one or something in the library of Congress, uh, cataloging, uh, uh, what's the word the, their, their system of cataloging all the paranormal UFO, Bigfoot, you know, ghosts, everything are in section one. Yeah. Like yeah. The, you, du- the Dewey library, decimal system. Yeah. The Dewey decimal system. puts right. like zero zero one is, um, it's like, it's like weird phenomena and stuff. And then it turns into like aeronautics. Which is weird because then I got a pilot's <laughs> license later in life too and started paragliding. So maybe there's something to do with that. But I read all the paranormal books and then um, we we kind of got tired of that library and a new one opened further away and we went there and I started I read all the books there that weren't at the first library. So by the time I was like you know twelve, thirteen, something like that, when suddenly girls became interesting and partying and all that happened, I that, I read all those books and then I forgot about it till I was about twenty two or some or 23, something like that. And, um, I had a horrible time in my life where I almost killed myself and everything was horrible. And it was, and I read an article, just, I read an article by Robert Anton Wilson about uh, Wilhelm Reich, I think. Ah, okay. For some reason, it was a magazine called, um, well, it was a pair, it was a paranormal magazine put out by a guy named Mark Chorvinsky, who was a Bigfoot and paranormal researcher, I think in Maryland. Anyway, I think it was called strange magazine. I found it on a newsstand and that like pushed me right back into being all interested in it again. And I had totally not cared about it for what, 10 years of my life. So it was, a, it was a weird little journey. Yeah. I would kind of, um, go between on the Dewey decimal system chart. I would go between that section, the one hundreds to the nine hundreds, which is history. Yeah. One hundreds. That's it. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. So I would go from that to, to the to the historical stuff, so yeah, I, I hear you on that all the yeah, time. I got other books too, I mean, but it, it just happened to be most of them were paranormal. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about you know we're getting into this subject, um, and this is a subject we've covered many times on the show. Uh, but you know, you were on the documentary Mirage Men. 
Mm-hmm. And I know that your one of your biggest books is Project Beta. Of course, that's the story of Paul Benowitz. We did discuss that with Gil Rightly uh, about he doesn't know over a year ago. That. He doesn't know anything about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping he's listening. That's what I said. <laughs> but uh, you were in the you were in the documentary Mirage Men, and you have a you have a large part in that. Uh, Walter Bosley is in that as well. Yeah. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about that documentary because I think that's probably one of the I most. Of it. I think that's one of the most important documentaries about UFOs that I have ever seen. And of course, you know, talking about Richard Doty, and you know, you, your main focus was on Benowitz, but we're talking about mostly the influence of the intelligence agencies on. You ufologists. Yeah. So I'd like to get your thoughts on that. Cause I know that's something that, especially in it defies language, uh, which we're talking about, you know, that you talk about a lot, especially in the first two sections. So, I mean, this is something that you have some personal experience with as well, yeah. as I understand. Yeah. Uh, I guess so. I mean, what, 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 how do you want me to jump into that subject? I mean, how, how did it happen or how, you know, what, what is the weirdest thing or how does it affect UFO study or what? I suppose all of that, but I mean, I guess <laughs> we could really talk about your personal experience, like Bill Moore, yeah. you know, cause that's a part of the documentary where Bill Moore, the um, ufologist goes up to, I believe it was 1989 at a yeah. meeting in Nevada I think it was MUFON National Conference in Las Vegas, where he basically revealed that there had been that he has been that he had been used as an intelligence asset, essentially. Yeah. So, I met. Go ahead. No, I was just what what your experiences were with him. I met him completely by almost chance. I think I was looking for a, a, a friend of mine and I wanted to do a, like a UFO documentary, which we shot on three quarter inch video machines, which weighed like a hundred pounds <laughs> in uh, 88 when I was, when I was a, a little kid. And, um, he, uh, I found out somehow cause there was no internet yet that, his Bill Moore's office was a block from where my, where I was working at another office in Hollywood. So I called him, maybe he was in the phone book or something. Anyway, somehow I contacted him and he said, yeah, sure. Come on down. And I just showed up at his office and we started talking 87 or something like that. So by 89, I had been talking to him for a while and knew him fairly well. And he's, and you know, I was catching up on as much UFO stuff as I could at that point because, you know, I'd been out of it for a long time. Um, and uh, I think Bill Moore might have been part of the reason why I got back into it. Anyway, um, he told me before the MUFON conference, he, he said he was going to go do the conference. I knew that he was doing something to do with the government and UFO stuff. I didn't know the details, obviously. Not many people did. But when... Uh, when that uh, conference was was uh, going to happen, like a couple months beforehand, he says, "I've got something that's really going to freak everybody out," and he wouldn't—he absolutely would not tell me what it was. I said, "Okay," and he said, "But 
are you going to be at the conference? I said, yeah, of course. I mean, with that kind of, of uh, you give it that kind of a sell, of course I'm going to go. And, you know, I, I didn't have a car that would make it then. And I was poor. So I took the da- damn Greyhound bus to Vegas <laughs> from LA and, you know, got a cheap room. Cause you could do that then in uh, Vegas and uh, went to the conference and he said, can you help me sell books and stuff? Cause I'm not going to be at the table all the time. I said, yeah, sure. Okay. Um, not knowing what that would entail, but uh, yeah, he gave the talk. And as, as I say, and I don't know if I, that it was mentioned in uh, Mirage men, I guess they did go into it. Um, yeah, they did. Yeah. It was, it was probably the best speech I've ever seen anywhere. I mean, UFO or anything because of the reaction. Um, they had to stop it like four or five times because people were yelling and they, if they had things to throw, they would have thrown them. I think I said somewhere I should have been selling rotten, rotten vegetables outside because people would have used them. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it, it was, a you know, some of the people listening will know what happened. Everybody, he said, you know, look, the government is not, is uh, doing things that you don't know about. They're using some UFO researchers. I'm one of them. I'm doing it because they said that they would give me UFO information. Then they have been, and they still are, which is what you know he said at the time. They're not anymore. Um, and uh, he said he did it because he wanted. They they said that he could find out uh, information about how much the government at the time knew about the UFO subject. And of course, he wanted to find that out. So. He, He's, they said, well, you'll have to do do a few things for us. And he said, I did not know what those were when I started. But as you get into it, you start realizing that they're not always something that you want to do. But they tell you, well, if you want to keep the spigot of information open or the possibility, you have to basically do what we ask you. Um, and what it consisted of was, one, telling people like uh, contacts of his, like Richard Doty, what UFO researchers were talking about not because they wanted to know what UFO researchers knew about UFOs. They wanted to know what they knew about um, anything to do with uh, technology, secret technology. And um, it's a lot to go into here, but there's, you know, there's a definite connection between people who research UFOs and foreigners who from countries that aren't famous that contact people who research UFOs because they might not know what they're looking at, but the person that, is contacting them and saying, Hey, could you please tell me about your UFO researcher research stuff? They do know what they're talking about. So they get little bits of information about some weird thing flying through the sky that doesn't look right. And you know, it's, it's, it's just a little bit of information from them. So the government wanted to know who these people were. So Bill was one of the people would help them with that. And then he did other weird things like they were trying to find somebody that had stolen a bunch of money from the military or something. And he disappeared. So they had him like search for him in bars in Los Angeles. And they sent him letters from, you know, somebody sent him letters and he had to read the letters off postcards. Um, exactly as the postcard was sent to him. And then he had to put it in an envelope and send it on to some other place. Just all kinds of weird ass little spy stuff. Anyway, so he was doing this and he was getting the, you know, he was the one first one, um, him and a few other people uh, in his group, also Tim Good in England, but they got the first copy of the MJ-12 stuff, the Eisenhower briefing document and all that. He also got tons and tons of other, you know, uh, um, documents relating to UFO stuff, none of which really told you anything except that it looked like there was an interest in the, in the subject in the government. And if there was anything juicy in there, there was no real way to, you know, prove it. 
And as it turns out, a lot of the documents he got are either probably um, partially false or mostly false with a few of uh, few true things thrown in, but you don't quite know what those are because that's the nature of disinformation. Anyway, um, he announced that he had made that deal at the UFO convention and people already were pissed off at him because they knew something was going on. It just made it worse. And he didn't allow any questions. He just said, he just said, since, you know, since I really basically know the questions you're going to ask here. <laughs> so he asked the questions himself, which really pissed people off. Uh-huh. I mean, even more, you know, <laughs> why are you doing this? You know, and uh, how can we trust you? And, uh, you know, and he would answer the question. Um, then when it was done, he said, thank you and farewell. And he walked out a door in the back so he didn't have to walk through the audience. Yeah, you can see that footage in the Barrage Men movie uh, in the documentary. They had some in there. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I, I can't mean, remember because was... I have I have it, and it's really interesting. I mean, you can just see what he's saying, see him, and hear what he's saying, but you can't see what was going on in the room. Yeah, you can hear the booze pretty well. Uh, yeah. from, from what I remember from watching the film. Um, yeah. What uh, currently right now? I mean, how much disinformation is in? the ufological field. I mean, are we talking about that? Is it something that is just extremely rife right at this moment? I don't know. I don't think so because at the beginning of one of the chapters of the, of um, project beta, there's a quote, uh, UFO researchers are perfectly capable of disinforming themselves. Hmm. And I, I really believe that um, people that are uh, involved in this subject, really a lot of them are involved first because of um, a belief, which is starting off on the wrong foot, in the, you know, right away. And they don't let anything get in the way of that belief. Sure. So you don't really have to lie to people about what's going on. Because people have this idea that the government knows what's going on. And, and this is just my theory. That the government knows what's going on. They have, they have information about UFOs. They have information about some deal with aliens or something like that. There is no way to prove it. Not, not yet. No, mm-hmm. nobody has proved it bef- at, at all. It's just government people saying so. Um, and I don't know, you know, if somebody says something that you believe and there's no way to prove it, I have huge doubts as to whether that belief is founded in anything, especially if it's pushed so much, you know, and I don't think, and the disinformation is there to tell people, you know, to cover up what the government knows, maybe it is partially, but I think it's mostly just to cover up one, to cover up ignorance and two, to get them to leave them alone. Um, in the past, I think it was used, uh, and this is just me because, you know, obviously I wrote that book and the, the, the documentary I was in that talked about it. So this is my point of view, but, um, I think that the main idea behind the, behind any kind of disinformation was to misdirect people away from anything important having to do with national security or uh, advanced technology or anything, steer them in a direction that, that, that steers them away from that. And two, um, get people that are interested in that, main, namely foreign nationals and you know people who shouldn't know that information, to come calling and see who those people are so they know who to watch. Yeah. They yeah. get involved, Good start point. feeding them some junk. And the other thing you can do with feeding people junk is you can say something very secretive to one researcher and say, this is just for you. And, you know, this is what's going on. And there's a project over here. And uh, and if that gets out anywhere, if they hear it from anybody else, they know where it came from. And they know that person, want, you know, they, they know 
who that person talks to. Um, so it, it's, I don't think it's used to cover up the UFO subject. I think it's used to use for everything, but yeah. yeah. Um, because I don't think the government knows what's going on with UFOs either. If they do, right. They don't know how to control it. They, they just can't because it's so, I, you know, this is part of my grand stupid, you know, conspiracy themed um, idea. Well, it's not conspiracy themed, but that, uh, they don't know what it is, but they sure know how to use it for whatever they need to for earthly ends. And they don't know what's going on. They can't control it. And the really scary thing, I think, for somebody who is into control is that the experience for people is extremely individual. And you can't, you, you can't control that experience or control the perception of it if, they are, if, if people have an individualized experience. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does make sense. And if you're if you're into control, which these people are, a lot of them, uh, control and power, anything that looks like it can deal with people on an individual basis and bypass your control and power is is uh, to be um, ridiculed, covered up, or whatever. Yeah, um, and it, I, I don't run around saying that's you know that uh, that's really what's going on, but that's one kind of strong model I use. Yeah, see, I, I, you know, in the 90s, you know, I guess primarily because of the X-Files and primarily, I think, because of the mythology that grew up because of, well, things like Paul Benowitz and then the Dulce base and all this stuff, the aviary, you know, you had, you got this mythology that built up and you, and I really thought, okay, the government knows something, they're hiding something. Now, 20 years later... I just think that they really don't know and whatever they, but they see a, a generally strange phenomenon, something that is going on, but we don't know exactly what it is, but they use that in a means of disinformation to cover up things that they're actually doing. Yeah. And to cover up the ignorance and to get people, you know, serious people to not pay attention to it because if they do, they might, there might be a way to figure out what that thing is. I don't think they control it. I don't think can, anybody can control it. Right. And it might not be something that yeah, it might be something that's complete. In fact, I'm pretty sure it's something that's completely out of our ideas of what control and 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 uh, and any and, and any way of confronting it as a as a uh, as a race or whatever that you that you can do. It's just it's so. Whatever it is is so alien. I hate to use that word mm -hmm. to what we do that it's there's there's no way to, to to codify it. There's no way to say this is what this thing is. I think there's a lot of ways to say this is kind of like what this thing is, um, and it, that's as far as I can go. I mean, I'm not gonna. I don't. I don't right. know if it's aliens from other planets. I don't know if it's a disembodied consciousness. I don't know if it's part of us that we don't we we don't understand yet. I have no idea, but I'm pretty sure. There's something that's not us that is conscious of itself and us that interacts with us occasionally and has been for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. Agreed. What do you think about it? I don't want to belabor this too much, but uh, what do you think about Tom DeLong? I mean, all this that has gone on with him and is he just being used as another dupe? Uh, I hate to use the word dupe, but I don't think what's being told to him is 
What's being told to him is what one group of people thinks what is going thinks is going on and wants us to think that way. Yeah. I I I don't think there's a big revelation coming out about it. I think it's it's like saying it's like saying uh let's see. Um Alex Jones has a completely a different idea of what's going on in the government or uh, with world powers than most people do. But he has a big mega, megaphone to do that. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people listen and a lot of people believe what he's saying. This is what this small group, I think, that's – or maybe not so small, but anyway, a group inside the government is doing with DeLong. I think they want to get a certain idea of what they think the is going on out Sure. Right or wrong, I'm pretty sure it's not completely right. Um, and they found somebody who is very receptive to getting them to do that. And I, you know, it was emphasized, I think, on the coast to coast the other night that you know, DeLong contacted these guys; they didn't come to him. But the thing is, you know, if you hear somebody that has you know some money and a motivation and will listen and will not contradict what you're saying and can get your message out. I think you, you know, and if a bunch of you guys, a bunch of guys in your group are thinking, Hey, let's get the, you know, we got this message about what we think's going on and how we think it affects us and our history and all that. Here's a great megaphone for that. Yeah. And then I think they have certain ideas about what's going on and they want, they want to push that, but that's not the whole government. It's just part of it. Right. Right. The government is not this big thing where, you know, it's like ufology. There's factions in it. There's factions in any human, you know, in, uh, interest group. Well, it's like he thinks that that the government is feeding him this, you know, himself. Well, parts of the government are feeding him right. this. They are, it's going straight to him, and it's. And I think it's just like you know, for my model of it is it's just like um, Victor Martinez and that request anonymous guy in Serpo. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, they what they did was they fed him information and they said, put this out here. We want people to know this. And as soon as he started changing what they were saying, they said, stop it. Stop changing. You know, he was editing it because it didn't it had the grammar was bad or whatever. <laughs> and they said, stop doing that. He's an English teacher. He couldn't help it. And he couldn't stop it. So they, they dropped him and, and picked up Bill Ryan and let him put out the information. It, it's the you. The, the chapter of the first the title of the first chapter in my book is, um, do you remember what it was? Well, see, I have the book here. Uh, Read me the chapter title. I'd pull it. I'd have to pull it up on my Kindle. Okay. But, uh, the, um, the first chapter, chapter one, the, um, I'd like to talk a little bit about the project Serpo stuff, because I mean, I don't think these guys have ever heard of anything about it. The first chapter is called You Play the Game or You Get Nothing, Government Spies, etc. That's what's happening with DeLong. If he if he doesn't play along, he gets nothing. Yeah. He got himself into this because he said, look, I'd really like to help you guys out with some of these things I heard that you want to say and want to get out to the public. And they said, okay, fine. But if he, I think if he sh- shows them ever that he has his own idea about it or wants to change it or disagrees with them, he will be dropped immediately. Sure. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't think they, you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm not in the middle of it. I have no idea. This could be completely contradicted by something that he's going to say later or some revelation or something. But as far as what I've heard, that's what it sounds like to me at this point. But you know, the patterns having researched Benowitz's case, writing a book about it, 
you see the patterns yeah. and some of the similarities between him and like a Paul Benowitz or a Bill Moore even. Yes, I, I, I do see I do see the uh, parallels. Unfortunately, you know that the you know it's one of those things where I've got a certain view of this because what I've looked at, studied, who I've talked to, and seen the results of it, and this looks has a lot of the earmarks of the same thing. Like I said, I could be wrong, and something you know something incredibly revelatory will happen. It'll change a lot of things. Yeah, based on the history of when this has happened before, I think it's going to. It's going to get to the point where nothing is of substance is revealed, or if it is, there's no way to prove it, and it will fizzle out, and it'll just be become part of the mythology like everything else. Sure. Yeah. I hope not, but that's you know, if you ask me to you know give a prediction, um, uh, you know, my over under would be I think you know something in the ninety percentage percentile of. It's gonna. It's just gonna fizzle out and really not make any difference after a while. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about Project Serpo because this is an interesting thing, and of course, I don't believe a word of it. But I think these guys would probably be like to be filled in on what that is, and just kind of like uh, some of how that was kind of debunked eventually. Um. Well, what it, the beginning was, uh, and I, I, you know, there may be details that I am missing out on, but. Uh, this guy, Victor Martinez, who was, I guess, kind of an internet researcher or a low-level kind of researcher, he started getting these messages from somebody in the government who called himself anonymous or request anonymous. And they said, these are things we would like you to send to your mailing list. And the mailing list was a whole bunch of UFO researchers. I was on the mailing list. I mean, I used to get these things. And um, it was a long, drawn-out saga of a – the basic story was a sometime in the – 70s, I think. It's basically like a, a, the end of um, Close Encounters. Um, there was some kind of contact between this planet or our government and some planet with aliens on it called Serpo. And eventually there was an exchange and some aliens came here and some astronauts from this planet or I guess this country, uh, the United States, went to this other planet for 10 or 15 or 20 years, or I don't know what it was. Uh, I think it was like 10 or 12 years. And then some couple stayed, a couple came back, somebody died while they were there. Anyway, um, it was, it was kind of a complicated story and it, and it, uh, um, came out over a few months on Victor Martinez's email list. Uh, cause nobody really had websites then, or it wasn't widespread that people knew how to do them. So it was an email list. So anyway, uh, after a while, whoever was, telling him this, like I said before, was telling him to stop changing what they were saying. And when he started changing it, they, uh, they, they switched over to this guy, Bill Ryan, um, who's who people know pretty much now as the project Camelot guy. Uh, but, um, eventually it, you know, it just kind of, it, I don't know the exact history of it, but it petered out. Um, during when it was a big deal, Coast to Coast had a show on it, and I believe Whitley Strieber was on talking about it. I think Bill Ryan was on talking about it, and strangely enough, Richard Doty, huh. the old, the second and last time he was ever on Coast to Coast. The first time was when I was on. Uh, he came on and, and basically took over the show, which was fine by me, um, because it made it a good show. Uh, but uh, yeah, and and 
the, the fact that, you know, that Dodie was on there talking about it, a lot of people started to make connections. Some people did some really deep research and found out some of the emails that were coming out or at least associated with Serpo were coming from a server in New Mexico or at least in New Mexico where he lived. Hmm. Um, maybe even his IP address. I can't remember, but it, it uh, they, they found, you know, and then he said, I'm not involved at all. I'm in fact, he stopped talking to me when I wrote a piece called Serpo was a big fat fake. <laughs> I, I don't like what you wrote. I don't like what you associated me with. And I don't want to ever talk to you again. Um, which was, you know, it kind of made me sad because I, I enjoy talking to him no matter what you think of him. He's an interesting character. Right. Right. Um, but, uh, I'm pretty sure he's involved with it because he got very upset when I and other people pointed out that he was, um, or su suspected that he was to give him the benefit of the doubt anyway. But the, the, the point, you know, I, the only thing I could figure out and also talking to a couple people, why would you, why would, why would this person care about grammar and sentence structure and spelling and all that? Why would they care if he did that? It makes no sense whatsoever unless they're extreme control freaks. Like I want my misspellings and bad punctuation in there. Um, the only other thing I could think of is, you know, because I'm conspiratorial and this is what I've, you know, looked at for a while. I think there were messages in there that he was messing up by changing them. Hmm. And that people were supposed to see those messages. Right. And if they saw those messages, they could act on them or do whatever. And, but the thing is, and if they could figure out the messages, and there was internet chatter about it. They could figure out who knew what the code was and what they were talking about. It was basically to track people online, I think, uh, with uh, who knew certain information or knew what what whatever the 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 code was in those in those big long emails with all the misspellings and all that. Uh, that that's what makes sense to me in light of what happened. Plus the uh, discrepancy between the people that went there supposedly to this planet. And the people that came back didn't add up at all. Yeah, I pointed that out in an article in the book. Yeah, it's like a it, it, really simple thing. Like, you know, it, they told you what happened to all the people. They said eventually, you know, 12 people went there and five stayed there. And five, and it added up to like two or three or less or more than originally went there. I was like, what the hell? That doesn't make any sense. That must be in there. I mean, that's a really, really obvious mistake. Yeah. Yeah. So that must be in there for a reason, right? among other things that he wasn't supposed to change. And he didn't change that, which is kind of weird. Well, when you start getting into the intelligence community, it is, it is, I mean, that is exactly what it is. It's a community all in of its to itself. And it's like, they have their own language and they're obviously their own code and their own reasons for doing things. It, 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 I mean, it's alien in and of itself. Yeah, well, you, you talk to you, you talk to any group of people that's doing anything, and they're going to have their own methodologies and lexicon and everything. It's just the way it is. So that's what happens with groups. But especially if you're doing, you know, stuff that is basically spy stuff, where people aren't supposed to be able to figure it out, and yeah. everything you do is to misdirect people so that they can't figure out what you're doing, because so you can do your work without, you know, and get better, purer information and pass along better, purer information without it being intercepted, adulterated or whatever. Cause for, for spies and intelligence people, information is like, it's more valuable than anything. It's like money to them. Yeah. 
Well, one point about Project Serpo that I've always found interesting is that to me, it's just like the end of the movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind, where they have the people ready to go on the, on the UFO. And they, of course, the aliens come out and pick out Richard Dreyfus. I mean, it's just like this is derivative of a movie. You know, it's like they're just using a plot from a movie and just recycling it. Yeah. Well, either that or people said, well, you know, what really was happening was that the government was sort of revealing what was going on by telling Steven Spielberg this. And that's why. Right. He did it. Right. Uh, that, that's that's used. You know, I seriously doubt that's the yeah. going on, but maybe it was. And he, and he did that because somebody wanted people to think that. I don't know. Yeah. It's like a feedback loop in a way. Yeah, uh, I don't know. The, the thing is, I don't take anything as gospel ex- right. at all. You know, it's just kind of like, these are ideas I have. This is the filter I put it through. I realize it's my own filter, and there could be other ways to look at it, and there certainly are, and some of them I agree with, and some I think are total BS. For the title of your book, the latest book, It Defies Language, what do you mean by that By that phrase, it defies language? Um, if you want to talk about weirdness, especially UFO stuff and the paranormal language Language limits you to your, limits the way you think. And this is not my idea. I mean, it's, it's tons of people have had this idea, but language limits what you can think about. Because if you don't have a word or a concept for something, you can't discuss it. It's not even part of your, you're, you're not even thinking about it. Yeah. So the, 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 the phenomenon itself defies the language we have to describe it, I believe. So we only have certain certain way to look at it based on our way, you know, our language and how it encodes, how we think about it. And that, you know, and there may be a way to get around that, but it's, it's basically, basically talking around the subject using metaphors and um, doing something that might be akin to producing art. You know what I mean? Um, And the, the, the way I came up with the phrase is uh, red pill junkie was doing the cover for me. And he he's, keeps asking me, what's the title? I have to put it into the graphic to, for the front of the book. <laughs> and I couldn't think of a title. I was like, uh, you know, some of them were like, you know, uh, what was it? Disinformation. I can't remember. There were a lot of like silly titles I didn't like. So one time I just put myself into this weird state of mind. I mean, I didn't take drugs or anything. I just kind of sat there and defocused my brain. And I just started writing out phrases that came to mind, just like out of nowhere. And I had about 10 of them. And um, one of them, oh, that was it. I didn't do it that way. I defocused my mind. I took a, a long um, essay by William S. Burroughs, and I put it in an online cut-up generator. So I took a, an essay by Burroughs that I really liked. Uh, I think it had to do with, you know, geez, I can't remember what it had to do with, but I put it in. You still there? Yeah, I'm here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I put it in an online cut-up generator, took all of his words and jumbled them into, you know, like five paragraphs of gibberish, hmm. completely un, you know, non-connected words, just randomly. And then I sat there looking at the words, and anytime a phrase came to mind while I was looking at it, I would type it out. Like there'd be 15 words that made no sense, whatever, but it made my brain think of a, of a phrase or a sentence and I would type it out. And at the end, and I didn't even know what I was doing. And at the, I didn't even know what I typed till I got, got to the end. And then I looked at it to see what I typed out. And one of them was that phrase. 
was it defies language. Hmm. And, and I sent that to, to Red Pill and he said, okay, you know, and that, that became the name. I, I liked <laughs> how I came up with it. That, that, it was exactly the kind of thing I'd want to do to, 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 uh, to come up with a title or something like that is it wasn't done analytically. It was done completely, almost subconsciously forcing myself to subconsciously come up yeah. with something. Yeah. I mean, it's a great title and it's an appropriate title. Because so much in this, so much in this stuff, in this material, does exactly defy language. Yeah, it defies conception. It defies. Yeah. I mean, just uh, so much of the experience defies what we understand. Yeah, so stop trying to figure out what it is, because what it isn't is is uh, much bigger and sitting out there laughing at you when you try to figure out what it is. Right, right, exactly, you know? exactly. I, I want to know from from your perspective, what kind of took you away from, if you ever had it really, but kind of away from the extraterrestrial hypothesis. I mean, what like events that you studied or maybe even events that you had uh, personally that said, you know, hey, there's more going on here than just a nuts and bolts spacecraft or, or a physical biological entity. You know, oh, what, well, what, what, what pointed you in the, into that direction? Um, probably reading books by John Keel, Jacques Vallée, Greg Little, um, Keith mm-hmm. Thompson, uh, Jim Brandon. Uh, and the other thing is, one, being tired of it. Like, Jesus, are we going to talk about people coming here in ships from other planets again? <laughs> Jeez, is it, can't you talk about anything else? Yeah. And, you know, the, and just what I said there was the other part of it. Um, you know, how uh, just being annoyed with people that could not get off that, that, uh, off that bandwagon. Right. It very well may be true. I'm not throwing it out as a as a possibility. The ETH. I'm just tired of it personally. Yeah. And there's no way to prove it at this point. It's what we think it is, and it's not what we thought a hundred years ago or two or three hundred years ago. Whatever. There were some people that thought it, but it. You know, people didn't say people were coming here from other planets. They wondered if that could happen. There were stories written about it in the you know the 18th 19th century. I think maybe in the 17th century, but it didn't become a, a model, I guess, until sort of maybe the early 20th century, maybe coming up into the ni- 1920s and 30s with pulp fiction and uh, science fiction, and then um, really getting codified after World War II with uh, mm-hmm. Kenneth Arnold, etc. And that's all we've been working with. It's like, you know, it's it's temporal. What's the word? Chauvinism. <laughs> you don't think about what happened before and what people thought before. You think, well, this must be right because we're so advanced now. It's like, I don't I don't agree with that at all. Well, I, I think at a certain point, the spirits and fairies and those ideas as we became more industrialized, as we entered into the quote unquote space age, that it just became aliens, that our experiences got reflected back to us in a way. 
Well, that and, you know, the, the thing was the, with the, you know, language limiting you, if if all you have to describe these things are specific specific things like aliens and structured spacecraft, things that you don't have the word for, just they don't even enter the conversation. They just stay off the table. Yeah. And I'm what I'm trying to do in a weird way is 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 talk around the thing that it might be so that that might come closer into focus or even, even to defocus like I did when I came up with the name of the book. Just defocus the attention and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's that's really important to do because looking directly at it hasn't worked. Uh, or it's given us a specific idea and then people just keep trying to prove that idea. And that, that to me, that just personally turns me off because it shuts down so much, um, what, so, so much variety in what you could talk about, what you could, you know, theorize about. And I don't have any problem with theorizing and having a hundred things be wrong. It's very interesting to me to find out, you know, to, to say a bunch of nonsensical things and see if any of them stick. Yeah. Because the UFO thing says all kinds of nonsensical things to people. Mm-hmm. If you start looking at reports, there's some wacky stuff out there, and nobody ever <laughs> talks about it. Look, look at Albert Rosales's uh, books. There used to be a, have a site, but just that humanoid sightings reports thing. He has thousands of them, and almost none of them conform to what we think about as aliens now. Yeah, they range from you know luminous clouds of gas to to slimy things to things with tentacles and feathers. And it's like, wow, what's going on there? I think, I think we're contributing a lot there with metaphors that make sense to us, even though they, they, they come out as looking completely insane or sounding like it when people tell us about it. Well, one of the phenomena that I find interesting, and you talked about this in an interview with David Weatherly not too long ago. Oh, you listened to that. Good. Oh yeah. Yeah. Very good. I, I, I enjoyed that. Um, I really enjoyed the interview. The idea that, okay, from probably the early 20th century on, you have a very, you have many different kinds of contact experiences with many different kinds of beings. Okay. You got the contactees, the George of Damskis out there um, that, you know, the, the Nordic aliens, the Venusians, okay? Yeah. The, the, uh, they are from Venus or they are from Mars. Or they are from somewhere in the solar system. And then we find out, hey, there's no life on Venus or Mars. So then they become the Palladians or from Zeta Reticuli or something like that. And then there's almost this change around about probably the 70s or 80s that you get the grays coming in. And then all of a sudden that becomes into, that goes into popular culture. And all of a sudden everybody sees the grace, especially after communion comes out. Yeah. Okay. So it, it, it it's like we, it, it, it's like it just reflects back to us what we put into it. Yeah. I, I, I agree. And we, we limit ourselves by, by, like I said, looking at what we think it is instead of mm-hmm. what we don't think it is. I think it's really, and that doesn't make any sense really, but it does to me. Looking at what we don't think it is might lead us more to a more accurate view of what it is or what the interaction is that happens when somebody sees something strange. 
I think the interaction between what is seen and the per- and the witness is really should be what should be looked at, not what not what we think is seen, but what we think how we how we observe it, how we remember things, how we mythologize things, how we describe things to each other. All these are an attempt to make sense of something that makes no sense whatsoever. And that's the that's the signal we're getting. The signal we're getting, I think, is mostly from us, from the witness. Yeah. Um, but what where, what is the source of that signal? What what causes it? That that's really interesting to me. And it, at this point, I'm trying to say I don't know what it is. I have no idea. I don't want to make it. I force myself not to make an idea about what something is. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody describes something weird, um, and that's a really tough thing to do. I mean, I'm just like, I'm, you know, I can do this. It's really tough to do for anybody, especially for somebody that's doing investigation. I, I, um, talked to a UFO investigator and he told me he, he, you know, he asked this woman what she had seen. It was very strange. It was partly a UFO thing, partly crypto, crypto zoological. It was a very interesting sighting or, or event, series of events that took place over like part of an evening. And then he asked, he asked her all these questions and he said, well, what, you know, how, you feel okay? And she said, yeah, I just had a weird experience. And then he asked her, did you, have you had any problems with migraines? And she said, no. And my first thing I said was, you shouldn't have asked her that. Hmm. And he, he was completely, you know, it's like, why? What, what's the problem? He said, it's funny you say that though, because I called her the next day. And she said an hour later, she got a horrible migraine that lasted all night. It's like, well, can't you see what happened? It's like leading the witness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he said, well, that's our standard question. I said, well, maybe it shouldn't be a standard question. You know, I'm sorry if you have to ask people what happened and then let them go and not say anything. Maybe that should be done. Yeah. Stop it. You know, did you have any, you know, did you have any kind of reproductive? Oh my God. Now what are you doing to the poor person? Because from, mm-hmm. from my from my point of view, this person is trying to describe what happened to them to somebody who they think is sympathetic and may be able to give them some explanation for this weird thing that happened to them. Um, and if they say, well, you have you had a headache? Maybe subconsciously you go, oh, I guess part of the experience is having a horrible headache. Yeah. And so to deal with the strangeness and the trauma of the of the of having this experience, your subconscious goes, well, maybe if I have a headache, I'll feel better about it. Bang, you get a big, big fat headache. So um, it's it's really hard to, you know, I, and I'm not a UFO investigator. I've I've never really done it. I've talked to people that have had experiences tons of times. I've never just driven out somewhere and said, what did you see, sir? And took a report. <laughs> I've kind of never been interested in doing that. Although people say, you know, well, how can you say anything if you've never done it? It's like, well, I don't know. I guess I, I guess you've done it and I haven't. So that makes you smarter. But the, the, the thing is that, you know, there's no there's there's no accepted way to do this. It's just the way that MUFON or KUFOs or whoever is doing this thing does it. Yeah. I think in a lot of ways it's 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 not done with any consideration of what the witness thinks about it. Um, I think that's changing a little bit. And some of that stuff actually came out at the National UFO Conference this year where people were saying, well, why don't we listen to the damn witnesses instead of saying – you know, going and ask them what we want to hear and then and then going away. Why don't you let them say what they want to say and what happened to them? Because a yeah. lot weirder stuff will come out um, if, if people are allowed to describe their experience in the way that they do. It, just describing it's probably taking them a couple steps away from it actually ha- what actually happened because you have to put it into language. 
But, you know, as soon as an investigator starts saying, did you see this? Did you do this? Did this happen later? It's like, did this cut it out? Yeah. You're packing them into, you know, it, the, the thing is being conformed to what we think it should be, not what it is. I, 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 I I'm kind of strong on that right now. I've had people that have had experiences on the show. And I can tell you, just listening to their experiences as they relate them is much more fascinating than me putting my own biases into into those experiences. Uh, for instance, I had a lady on the show that had um, experiences with Bigfoot. Yeah. And I can tell you what she was relating to me was so much more bizarre than just the possibility of this being a flesh and blood ape-like creature. Okay. I mean, it was, it, it was just fascinating stuff. And it, 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 I think just a lot of people, you, maybe they were, I had some people say, you know, well, this lady's crazy, blah, 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 blah. Why didn't you challenge this? Why didn't you challenge that? But it's like, no, I mean, it's, it's getting that no unfiltered, that unfiltered um, experience out there to show that, Hey, there's a lot more going on than on, what babe. you might think or what she might think it, what it is. Yeah. Trying to make sense of what the witness says, you're already screwing with their memory of it. Right. And it, it's a really tough thing to, you know, cause it's conversation, hopefully, but the yeah. investigators part of the conversation should be really, really, really small and insignificant and almost not there. I think. Yeah. Tell me what happened. Yeah, tell and me what then, happened. And you might not be able to put it, you know, fill in the boxes, but the the, fa- the fact that you're filling in boxes means you're screwing with somebody, you're screwing with the whole perception of the of the uh, phenomenon just by sticking things in boxes. Well, it, here's another thing too. You know, when alien abduction first came out, you know, Bud Hopkins, I mean the the big Alien abduction researcher, one of the first ones. Okay. Uh, David Jacobs as well. I mean, these guys were using hypnosis. And it turns out that people remember things, are actually remembering these experiences without the aid of hypnosis. So, I mean, hypnosis would just be another one of these ways of just leading this experiencer into. What you want it to be. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I really believe that. I think in in Britain in the 80s or 90s, they just said all the abduction researchers decided to stop using hypnosis as, as a tool. Yeah. Because people are very, as you, as you say and suggest, people are very suggestible in, in that state. And if you're trying to make sense of an extremely strange and upsetting thing that happened to you, you will latch on to whatever makes you feel better, including the the a a researcher who is supposedly acting as you know it's they don't say that, but they're basically acting as a therapist. Mm-hmm. And you, if you want to have some kind of peace with whatever happened to you, you'll probably listen to what the therapist says and try to make sense of it in light of what happened to you, because then that will give you some sort of closure on it and not make you for the rest of your life wondering if you're insane or if this really happened or whatever. Um, and, you know, that's, that's part of it too. Maybe that, you know, I, I think, I think abduction research should be stopped, hmm. but not support groups because people, when they have these things happen to them, it's, it's, it's exceedingly traumatic. 
And I don't know what's happening to them. I have no idea. But I think in some of the cases, something that's not them has affected them in some way. Something that's not something they made up. Yeah. And to have them be, if, if people were free to talk about that from the beginning without having somebody there that have an, had an idea what was going on, I think the mythology surrounding it and what we think about it would be a lot different. And it wouldn't be so focused. It, would have, it, it might be more underground, which might be a good thing. Yeah, you know, I, just I not agree. Not have TV shows about it, and movies about it, and big books about it, and you know that's the way we do things. But I think that kind of screws up. You know, it, it tracks our perception, as you say. Well, here's the thing: a, a lot, of, and I've been I've been thinking about this for a while now. Is a, a lot of the things you know, like I mentioned the X Files earlier? Okay, this was obviously you know it came back last year, but. This was a show from nearly 20 years ago, right? Yeah. And that whole mythology was nearly 20, even 30 years ago. So in these new experiences that people are relating in these groups or to a therapist or to whatever, are we still seeing the gray aliens or is it beginning to become looser and we're beginning to see these, uh, these different kinds of experiences, these different kind of beings manifesting again. I don't know. Cause I'm not an abduction researcher, but I do notice what people are talking about. And um, like I said uh, a little while ago, one of the things is they're trying not to track uh, people into something. Uh, some researchers are trying to let people say what their experience is and not influence them. <laughs> Uh, as much as possible. And some of them actually insist, uh, some of the, re uh, not research, some of the witnesses insist, like, look, do not tell me I saw aliens coming into my room with big heads and all that, because that is not what I saw. Yeah. That is not what happened to me, and it's not making me feel like a victim or whatever. Some people like it. Some people say it changes their lives in a very positive way. Some, and it just, the, the experience and the, the memory of it and the effects are as varied as the, people that talk about them and, and right and they should be. And I think that's, that's being accepted more, which is a good thing. Yeah. I have a feeling that the age of the grays is kind of going away. God, I hope so. And that is, uh, that is indicative of the fact that, I mean, that should prove right there that, you know, these are not extraterrestrial. These are beings that are showing themselves as this. And now they're morphing into something else because we've gone on from what it was 20 something years ago. I'll be even more radical and say, we should stop saying they're beings and, and, and making an assumption about it. Yeah. These are beings that are do something. To people. I don't know if they're beings. I don't know if they're, are they something that affects your mind? That's not even physical and you have to, and it becomes physical like a tulpa or whatever. I don't know. Like things I say sound completely insane. It's like, what is this airy fairy stuff? It's like, well, you know how most people think about what, what this is, is that they think it's completely insane off the map and, and, and not, you know, uh, that the things, the people that have this happen to them don't have, you know, don't, don't have them aren't all, all together. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I don't think that at all. Right. I, I that's something strange has happened to these people and it's and they're trying to deal with it but the only we're we're, we're going to get closer to what it is is to leave them alone and let them talk about it and i think and i think i stopped addressing what your question was 
Well, I want to talk about the concept of co-creation a little bit, because I know this is your this is kind of your thing that you've been studying a lot. Uh, let's talk about that concept a little bit. I think we have kind of touched on it a little bit, but I want to delve a little deeper on what that exactly means, the idea of co-creation. Uh, at the International UFO Congress uh, a couple weeks ago, I uh, I hadn't seen Richard Dolan in a while, and I don't know what you think about him or what anybody does. I don't care. He's always been nice to me. Um, I may not agree with him on a lot of things, but so what? Um, and when I told him what I was going to talk about, he said, I heard you were going to talk about co-creation. That really worried me because it sounds like this new age thing where people make up stuff together and then it becomes reality. I say, that, no, that has nothing to do with what I'm saying at all. Um, the The term as I use it, and maybe I'm using it wrong, I don't know. Maybe I'm using it right. Um, means that what, what I've been talking about here uh, for the last hour or so, the, um, that whatever happens to a witness in a paranormal encounter may be anywhere from, you know, completely external to the person where they just see something and report it. Like, you know, if you see a plane go over, you describe a plane going over. All the way to 99.9999% their brain trying to deal with something completely strange that they don't have any reference for. And I have a feeling it's closer to the 99% of your brain trying to make sense of it and your, you know, your ner nervous system and your visual system and all that, trying to make sense of weirdness more than there's an external weirdness that anybody could describe. And especially for closer things like, you know, you take a picture of a UFO, people say, yeah, that's what I saw. But I think when things get closer and some stuff starts coming up and shaking your hand or whatever, that's a lot different. And I don't see any pictures of that. Why don't we see any pictures of aliens standing right in front of people with so many people having this experience? I think it's because it's it's an internal experience. Um, the memory of it and the experience of it is more internal than external. I don't know if I'm standing there next to the person and this thing happens. I don't know what I'd see. Or more importantly, if I was standing five miles away with a telescope, what would I see during what somebody calls an abduction experience? And not a telescope like, you know, a regular telescope, but a, a theoretical telescope where you're a completely removed from the situation and you're and you're seeing what's going on. Maybe your observation of it changes it. I don't know. Kind of like uh, the quantum mm -hmm. physics idea. Yeah. Heisenberg but, uncertainty principle. Yeah. That uh, As soon as something is described or or. Uh, as soon as you make a decision about something, then the probability of it being something else disappears and it becomes that thing. But I think before that, a paranormal experience is a probability and describing it collapses the problem, you know, the, the, the probability of it uh, into something that you can talk about and remember and all that. I'm interested in finding out what caused that thing to go, caused you to have that experience. What is it? You know? Yeah. I have no idea what it is, but I think by disconnecting myself from what I think it might be that things will reveal themselves and not in an obvious way. And it might take forever. And the other thing is, I think it might be extremely individual for the person experiencing it. And strangely enough and horrifyingly enough might be extremely individual for the person studying it. Um, which is why science doesn't work real well with it, because I think it's a very subjective yes. thing. It's extreme. A, a UFO or a paranormal experience is really subjective. 
And for science, it doesn't deal with subjectivity very well. Well, that's not to say that it can't. But. Well, I was going to say that the, the methods, I think, should still be applied because earlier, you know, when you were talking about um, like, you know, an interviewer's ideas or biases being involved in the process, that's if you took a more methodical approach to removing variables rather than introducing them, which is a you know more of a science or scientific approach. I think that's really important. But I also agree with what you're saying. It's it's really important to kind of um, remove yourself kind of from the system and just observe it because the the there's a lot of evidence out there but it's this huge giant pool of tiny little bits and pieces and and to to go into it and think that you have like these these real solid beliefs is just kind of silly you know i think it's i think your idea is a lot better to just kind of sit back and 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 uh take all the ideas in and, and kind of let them sift through and just kind of see where it lands yeah, and that, and you know that's not real good for TV shows, movies, and, right. and movies. it mm-hmm. just isn't. And mm-hmm. I, I'm saying this as somebody who's written stuff and appear occasionally appear to talk about it and all that. I like doing that, you know, it, it's fun. But I didn't do all this, you know, whatever I'm here appearing to talk about. I didn't do it so I could appear to talk about it. I did it because I was interested in what in in answering questions for myself. If other people are interested, that's great. It's just like, you know, I'm sure that's why you do your show. You don't do it so other people can see how cool you are or whatever. You know, if, if it's a good show, you do it because you, you, it's a personal reason. Yeah. Like, I really want to find out, you know, why did I start my magazine with, with a couple friends? Because I wanted to talk to people who I'd read books by. And this allowed me to go talk to them. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, and my ticket, my ticket to do that was ha- having some way to present it publicly. Because if I just I said I just want to talk to you personally, they would have said, "Oh, who the hell are you? Why should I even talk to you?" But if I say I have this magazine that people read, then they're more uh, apt to say, "Okay, well, come down and talk to me." And nobody ever said no. No, I didn't get one. I will not talk to you. Everybody, when I was doing my magazine in the '90s, said, "Yeah, sure, I'll 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 I'll, I'll uh, talk to you." And I got to sit down privately with these people and talk to them for a while. I didn't have to include everything we talked about. Sometimes I ask them stuff I didn't want published, but the point was to get there and talk to them. So I think if, if you look at all of this as a personal journey, it's a lot more, I don't know. It's probably, there's a bit that probably the best reason is to answer your own questions. Yeah, I, I agree with that completely because doing this show, I mean, I can tell you I've, I've changed quite a few of my ideas from when I began five years ago doing this till to yeah. now, I mean, it's kind of like you can, you can almost see the journey of doing it. And then also, you know, yeah, I, I, I wanted to talk to people that were, that I had heard or that I had uh, read about. And it was, it was just important to try to, to talk to those people and, and, you know, get them on record. It's a, uh, telling their stories, telling their personal experiences are the things that they're studying. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, 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 and it's good that you say, you, you, you know, you think ideas have changed because that's, that's another thing. If you can't, if you can't evolve your ideas or change them, then get out of it. Go some, go do something else. Yeah. Go, go, you know, race cars or, or play football or something. Don't come into this, this this field and have fixed ideas because you're just going to after you either now or or five or 10 years from now, you're going to sound stupid to a lot of people. 
Well, and also at the same time, you know, it's from exploring a lot of this material, uh, it's hard to be an absolutist as well. Yeah. It's hard to, to deal in some kind of like absolute, this is the way this is, this is the way it isn't, and I'm perfectly fine with that. It's like the existence of all these gray areas and understanding it with anything, really, and trying to understand what another person thinks or how another person feels and not scoffing at somebody's uh, experiences that you may or may not understand you may or may not understand. Yeah. Um, I know some people that are kind of on a more skeptical and I know people that are kind of more believer and sure. Uh, there are people I know who mutually can't stand each other, yeah. but it makes, it makes me happy that I can talk to both groups. I'm, I'm more attracted to the UFO crowd because that's just where I come from. Yeah. But I also can see when somebody says, you know, calls BS on something that, in some cases they're, they're, you know, they're right. I'm not going to, I'm not going to reject that just because it goes against mine or some friend's belief system or whatever we think actually happened to, uh, on anything. It's, it's, you got always got to be ready to change your mind on things. That Chilean UFO video thing that Leslie Keene reported on. As soon as that happened, as soon as that report came out, the next day, somebody had explained it. Hmm. The day after the story came out, and you think, oh, a bunch of skeptics. They just said it was, you know, swamp gas or, you know, um, reflections off clouds or whatever. It's like, no, they actually went, figured out where the plane was, figured out approximately where the object was, figured out um, which direction it was moving, which direction the plane was moving, looked at the data from the camera that shows what, you know, where things were, what the heading was. And I'm a pilot, so I went and looked at this stuff. And it took me about a day to go through everything that they'd done and they were right. It was a completely mundane thing. It was an airplane taken off from an airport in Santiago, Chile, Chile in 2000, whatever it was, 2011 or 10 or something like that. But it was a big story and everybody was excited about it. And Whitley Strieber had um, Leslie Keene on and they were saying these stupid debunkers and they're, you know, they, all they want to do is, uh, throw, you know, throw cold water on ufology. It's like, no, they actually explained it pretty well. I mean, they put a lot of thought into it. And it, like I said, it took me a while to figure out everything that they'd done and for me to double check everything they'd done. As far as I could tell, you know, ex, you know, way over reasonable doubt for me, it was a regular airplane, but a lot of people got mad, immediately get mad, you know, and say, how could it be that way? And like, it's just, no, you have to actually, delve into what people are saying and find if they're, you know, if they're not just saying something stupid, like, um, like Jeff Ritzman, who I'm going to talk to later today said about the Kelly Hopkinsville thing. One of the skeptics, what was Joe Nickel, um, from Psychop or whatever they're called now, he thinks that it was a bunch of owls and drunk people in the country. It's like, okay, they shot, they shot these owls with shotguns at point blank range, like 40 times. They didn't kill any of them. Yeah. Like they, that is the stupidest things I've ever heard. So people, like who, these people, people who lived have, kind of removed out in the country don't know what an owl looks like. Right, right, right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so, it's the other thing. It's like rural, it's like, Oh, they're dumb people from the country. It's like, well, you, you stick somebody from a big city out in the country and see how they deal with it. Yeah, they know, you know, they, they know their environment for Christ's sake. So they, I think they would know an owl or not. That just reflects their biases. 
But at the yeah. same time, you have people that are like you were talking about the Chilean UFO footage. You know, you have people that are true believers in the UFO stuff and want to really believe, you know, the, the whole I want to believe thing that, yeah. you know, that this, this is extraterrestrial. Yeah. And it that lends itself to some pretty embarrassing things like, well, the Roswell slides. <laughs> yeah. And I, I will say here now that I'm, I'm not putting down Whitley Strieber. I, right. I love Lee Strieber's writing as an ideas, and I would never say that he was deluded or stupid or anything. I think he's a really important voice, and he still is, no matter what people think of him on either side. But, um, yeah, there, there, there's that thing where you can't, you know, if you don't go along with the tribe, then you get pushed out of the tribe, and that would be really mm-hmm. bad. And, you, and so I, I don't like being pushed out of the tribe, but if it's a dumb tribe, I don't mind being pushed out of it. Yeah. Um, at least uh, dumb, dumb in the way that they won't allow new information in. I like, and I was putting down Joe Nickel for explaining the thing that these the, the Kelly Hopkinsville aliens as as owls, and it was stupid. But he did an, he he performed another experiment. He performed an actual experiment. Um, could the Nazca lines have been made by people without having aliens or aircraft? And he he figured it out. He yeah. said, look, I went out into some, a farmer's field that let me do it, and I created one of the Nazca patterns with pieces of string and posts in the ground. And if you go out to Nazca, there are remnants of, of wooden posts in various places around those things, which they probably used to do the measurements. You just take a, you know, you just take a um, drawing you made and then blow it up, you know, a thousand times. And they, they got good at it. And so, you know, to me, he, he had explained how the Nazca lines were made. It makes total sense to me. But then he says Kelly Hopkinsville were a bunch of owls. Totally stupid. So, you know, I, I, everything he says is a dumb, just some, you know, just probably, you know, you have to take you have to take things on a case by case basis, I think. Well, as an aside, what do you think happened at Kelly Hopkinsville? Because, you know, we're not too far away from that, actually. No, it comes up quite a bit on the show, at least a couple times a really? year. I don't I have no idea what happened. I think something very strange happened to that family, but I don't know what it was. Yeah. I'm 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 applying my uh, my my philosophy here. I'm not going to put a idea on it. Um, I listen to everything. I read it all. And in fact, I, I uh, my uh, Facebook one of my Facebook pages for my show. The I've got two. There's one that's like a group and one that's a page. But the the page actually <laughs> the, uh, the 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 image for it is it's Kelly Hopkinsville like drawings of them. <laughs> <laughs> So I really like that case. With like the big I, eyes, it, like the big ears, you know. Yeah, it, it makes yeah. no sense in light of, you know, what we think of now as a, as an alien encounter or whatever you want to call it. But something very strange was seen. It's like, well, you know, if they if they maybe the maybe they were performing mind control and they really look like big headed grays. Like, it's like, really? Okay, whatever. But they saw something with eyes on the sides of their heads and these big bad ears and you know that that makes it looks more like you know gnomes or gremlins or something, not not like aliens. Yeah, yeah. Or yeah. what we think of as aliens. So I'm not going to stick a, a template on it. I'm just going to say something really weird happened. And I'll keep my mind open and see if anything new comes out about the case. You know, they, Probably- they do a festival every year called the Kelly Greenman Festival up there. <laughs> we have to go. Yeah, we really do. It's 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 really like what sixty miles from us. Yeah, it's like an it's hour's like drive yeah. max. It's not What's far wrong away. with you? you? You should have gone the first year. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go now. 
<laughs> Everybody should come out here. <laughs> but uh, the, the Pascagoula, Pascagoula, Mississippi case, I mean, that's another interesting one. And, uh, you know, our good friend Nick Redfern, I mean, I think he thinks that all, all of it's mind control. And I have a certain tendency towards some of that as well, that some of it's hallucination uh, brought on by drugs. But uh, you do he a good. What is mind control? Uh, Pascagoula. Pascagoula oh, okay. case. I haven't yeah. talked to him about that. I had to ask him. Yeah. That's in uh, one of his books, um, Close Encounters of the Fatal Kind. He talks about that. Um, I, I don't know all of Nick's books. There's no way anybody knows all of Nick's books. Oh, yeah, books. that's <laughs> true. Nick. There's like 70 of them, yeah. something like that. But uh, yeah, but you draw a good, uh, uh, something I never thought of before. And is the kind of the parallels between the way that those aliens, where they, the way they said they looked and the Kachina dolls in the, in the Southwest. Yeah. I don't even know if that's significant, a significant thing, but I just, you know, because of my bias and I collect Kachinas that when I, Years ago, I saw that and I said, like, well, that looks like one of my Kachina dolls. It looks like a Mudhead Kachina a little bit and a few other different ones. I'd like to know of other, you know, encounters people had where they had saw things that looked like that. And I don't I have no idea why Calvin Parker and Charles Hickson saw those things or what they what they say they saw. I don't know why I, I drew the conclusion. I'm sure they didn't. Yeah. Um, and I don't know where, why, you know. I don't know what happened to them, but it's fascinating to me that it looks like what Southwestern American Indian tribes say are representations of concepts and parts of nature for them that are you know, turned into a personification so they can they can they can uh, they, they look vaguely humanoid so they can deal with the ideas as a as a as a humanoid f- form um, that, that is understandable to them. And they, they're totally aware that that's what they're doing. They, 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 you know, they, they don't think there's actual Kachinas dancing around looking like that. They just know yeah. that as far as I can tell, and from talking to a couple of them, they are human, human shaped concepts of, you know, um, concepts made into human form so that, uh, they become, uh, humanized or de- you can, they can be dealt with by the tribe in, as in some way to connect, and communicate and learn from whatever these forces are. Didn't you have some kind of weird experience with your Kachina dolls at a certain point? Yeah, I guess you read my book. Um, <laughs> when I was working, <laughs> when I was working on the uh, magazine, the doll, the Kachina dolls were in a bookcase, and you know there, there are books all around. And then one of the couple of the shelves. There was two across and two of the shelves across had were my Kachina doll collection. And at two, three, four in the morning when I'm working on this, I started hearing a scratching noise coming from the Kachinas. And they were it wasn't inside the wall. And it wasn't even a scratching noise. It was as if you took a little tiny sliver of wood or bamboo and started flicking it with your with your fingernail. Hmm. That kind of a noise. And the things are made out of wood, so I guess so, but I couldn't see them moving. And every time I I, w- I would look at the shelf, even even turning to look at the shelf, the sound would stop. Hmm. The first few times I went up to look at it, and then finally I just sat my because it was like five feet away from me. I just turned and look at it, and the sound would it would continue maybe for a couple seconds. It would stop. I hadn't even made a sound. I just turned my head. At least this is how I remember it. 
Anyway, and I took the Kachina dolls away, and people are saying, well, maybe it was mice in the walls or something. Like, I don't think so. I took the dolls away. I moved, I put them in a box or something to see what happened, and the noise stopped. Huh. And I put them back, and it started up again. Strange. So I don't know what that was. The funny, you know, a lot of the weird stuff that happened to me happened while I was learning and my mind was expanding and I was meeting more people and this was becoming a big part of my life. All the weird stuff happened then. Once I kind of got used to it yeah, and writing more and especially after Project Beta, a lot of that weird, a lot of the little weird experiences stopped happening to me. Yeah. So, you know, it was a time, and I'm, I'll probably talk to, the, to Jeff Ritzman about that tonight. It was kind of a liminal time of my life when I was transitioning from one time of my life to another. Yeah, um, yeah. I was going to bring that up. The uh, His whole concept, of, of course, I've heard him on Where Did the Road Go, uh, you know, this whole concept of liminality. Of damn it, I got to find something new to talk about with him tonight. <laughs> just that you are so, just that you're in between yeah. Um, you're in between, you're, you're in between these two states. I was that, neither here nor there. And right. I was reflected in my, in my weird experiences. Yes. I, I totally agree with him on that. I think he's totally onto something. And, and in haunting cases, you will have these, um, times when people are doing renovations, they buy a home, uh, yeah. they don't like the way the home looks. So they decide to renovate. And then there's this, that that's a liminal state too. And usually in those times the, the renovation is going on, the haunting uh, paranormal activity increases. So yeah, there's definitely something to that. And maybe we influence that in a way ourselves. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's my co-creation thing. Yeah. What, what does that mean? Liminal time? Like it's like in between. Cause there's a, there's a Celtic, um, they talk a lot about a lot about that in old Celtic beliefs, so like the time between times, or like you know dawn and dusk being real important. Or yeah. um, they, it's even a transitional time where things aren't things don't have the definitions that they usually have, and definitions can be open, and therefore weird stuff happens because the definitions aren't uh, definitions aren't uh, defined at that time. I got you. Even even localities like the edge of a forest and stuff would be considered yeah. sort of like a sacred yeah. kind of a thing. Uh huh. Yeah, the word liminality comes from uh, Latin uh, "limen," meaning a threshold. Ah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Thank you. So interesting. Look that up on the Book of Knowledge. Uh, one uh, one thing I wanted to ask you about, and this has come up at a lot of um, my show, other shows as well. What about the role of the occult in some of this stuff? Do you see any connection there? I mean, of course, the famous one being Lamb, I guess, you know, the little gray alien or proto-gray alien. But uh, do you see any connection between magic and these kind of experiences? Yeah, I think you can. I, I think by in, in changing your mind and your environment, you can cause things to happen. And this is what Western occult magic does. That's that's the goal of it is to change to change reality to conform to what you want it to be, mm -hmm. um, to you know, to, um, and not in a and it, for the best things would be not in a greedy way, but to, to to do what you're supposed to be doing. I think that's the main goal. People don't think about that. It's like my idea is when people get into the golden dawn, the first thing they ask is when can I smite, 
And that's <laughs> <laughs> you're already down the wrong path there. Mm. The, the, the thing that the, the goal of everybody's life should be, what am I, what am I doing here? Figuring that out, which is a, probably the biggest one. What, why am I even here? And then when you find out why you're here, f- follow the damn thing because you, you're only here for a certain amount of time. So if you're here for that, whatever that thing is, do that thing. And I think that's what the, 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 um, the Western magic system, occult systems are for. That's my idea of them. And while you're doing that, I think that if you understand yourself better, I think you can understand some of the weirdness better too, or how it, how you relate to it or how it, how it uh, relates to your life or, you know, if it's relevant. And once you find out that relevance and the relationship, I think you have a better understanding of it. Um, that in really broad strokes, I think that's how, uh, it's related to, to, to paranormality and in, in not so broad strokes, I think it can be used as a research tool. I was at the, at the UFO convention when I got to the end of my talk and they said, well, you talk about one guy said, you talk about all this stuff about how things should change and how we should be more involved in, uh, in, in what we do and, and less, and have less of a precon- preconception about what it is. Well, do you have any suggestions of how to do that? And I said, yeah, I do. Um, and a lot of people don't like it, but one of the ways may be through divination and uh, those kind of methods from uh, esotericism. And I got a round of applause from a few people. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Um, so I think that, engaging or using uh, methods from occult study, as long as you know what the hell you're doing, um, might be useful. The only problem with it, like I said before, is it might be useful to you, but not really to anybody else. The point is to have something that's useful to everybody where they, this is one of my things. It's like, if you can find a method where everybody can have their an experience of the paranormal, almost on demand it will never be on demand because everybody's different but like if you take acid everybody has an experience but nobody has the same experience but we all know that you know we all know that that drug makes you have this experience now what if you could figure out some way to do that with ufos and ghosts and bigfoot and all that that would be that would be damned amazing that would be like complete that would be paradigm changing but I think that may be one of the, and I think that may be one of the keys, finding out a way to have an experience of weirdness um, yourself, which would be geared to you because that's the way it's going to be. Yeah. But being able to open up, get into that liminal space, whatever it is, so that the, that the thing opens up for you. And then you say, oh, okay, I know that this is real, but I know that, you know, my friend Jane or Steve or whatever they're going to say it's real too, but their experience is going to be, you know, completely or mostly different from what happened to me. But we have an understanding with each other. We both know that something strange happened to us and we did connect to something that wasn't us and something that's um, liminal, <laughs> something that's not a human consciousness or at least not locked into a human consciousness. I, and I, I think at, that's at a- that point, I think things will change. I think that's at the core of the shamanic experience as well. Yeah. Rob, you look like you wanted to say something. Well, no, I was just going to, we went back to the whole um, 
sort of scientific method there, like something that's repeatable for, for everyone. It doesn't matter what the, uh, you know, what the experience is, like you're saying, but just the fact that there's something there for everyone that's going to bring at least everyone on board. Yeah. And it, it's, I think it's going to take a long time before people figure out, you know, unfortunately the kind of people that'll go, yeah, this is great. It's, it's going to be the kind of people that um, a lot of people don't listen to. Oh, you crazy hippie, you know, drug taken, Satanist, whatever. Me. <laughs> if that if that's your idea, of what's going on? Then forget it. You know, this is not for you. But I think very slowly, if, uh, if people can come to an understanding of what's what's going on for themselves, and talk about whatever the commonalities of those are, that that'll be a step in the right direction. And um, you know, before I'm not around anymore, I think it'd be great if everybody could say, "Yeah, that's something happened to me." Um, and I know it's, I know it's real, but it's not going to be real for in the same way for you or you or you or anything. Maybe they won't, we won't even be able to have UFO conventions at that point. Um, so what? <laughs> hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I, I just, I think the point that I one of the point I want to make is that, uh, maybe the paranormal isn't as paranormal as it seems i mean maybe it's just completely something that is completely normal and i mean as definitely as i've delved into this after what 154 episodes now that it's just like maybe it's just something that is just the most normal thing and it's just an essential part of us yeah i think so it, it, well it, i look at it as like um psychic functioning maybe like some people are good at it and some people aren't some people know how to do it some people don't some people do it accidentally um and come into it that way but anybody that's had an experience with it like I, if you've seen a ghost you 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 know you know in a very deep way that you've seen something that you shouldn't have seen that doesn't really make any sense to most people mm-hmm. and the only way that somebody will 100% believe you is if it happens to them too, but they're not going to have the same experience. And some people are, you know, this is the Dean Radin said this, he goes that uh, any, anybody can have a psychic experience, but there's only a few Michael Jordans. Yeah. You know, only a few people that are really good at it. Um, but everybody can do it. It's just, you know, it's just degrees. So I think everybody can have an experience of seeing strange things in the sky or whatever. It's just degrees of it and being in the right place at the right time. Mm Hmm. Yep. That's true. Because some people don't see anything during a sighting and other people do. They're like, what? I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. And it's right yeah. in front of, them. I don't see it. Or, you know, even more importantly, some people remember it and others don't. And that, that goes into that co-creation and, and individual experience thing. I keep harping on Yeah, the subjectivity of the experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Greg, I know that you are going to be, and we are going to be, we're going to make the official announcement, but we are going to be in Roswell, New Mexico Woo-hoo! in July, uh, actually end of June, beginning of July, our good friend Guy Malone, who's been on this show several times, he's going to be putting on a conference out there. And yeah. uh, Greg, yeah, we're, we're going to be happy to meet you out there as well. So, you know. Tell us a little bit about it, uh, what you might uh, speak about there. Uh, I think I'm going to harp on my um, co-creation thing. I've given the talk four times now, and it changes every time. Mm -hmm. So it'll be – because Guy said, I want you to do that talk about UFOs aren't from other planets or, you know, what what can be done to change UFO study. Um, 
I think I'll probably combine that with the thing that I'm doing and everything we've talked about here in the show. I think that that'll be basically the, 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 the gist of what I'm going to talk about. Um, so that, that'll be the talk, but I have no idea specifically what's going to be because it'll be different by then. Some people don't like that. It's like, well, why didn't I get the good, like real talk? That's like, well, I'm changing as ideas come in. Isn't that what people are supposed to do? Yeah. I'm not going to give you the same talk I gave whatever because I, my ideas change or I found out new, new cool stuff that I want to share with you. So, uh, yeah, it'll just be basically what we've been talking about here. How can things change? Why, how can we, how can we understand this better? You know, not, not, I, I say that in my talk, you know, it, I've stopped calling it. I don't want it. I don't want an answer. I want more. I want a better understanding. If you say you want an answer, you've already presupposed that there's an answer. Right. And there may be, but why do that? Right. <laughs> it's going to be an why interesting, it's going to be an interesting conference because I know that, uh, you know, Guy, he comes from it from the Christ, a Christian point of view. And he's got a couple of other people there, uh, like uh, Dr. Heiser and uh, maybe one other person. But then he's got you and Nick Redfern as well. So I think it's going to be an interesting um, an interesting combination at yeah, that conference. And, yeah. My idea is if you've got a belief system that you're shoving this through, you're holding yourself back. Yeah. And I will say that during the conference. I don't really mind if people say whatever they're going to say, but my, my idea is a belief system shuts everything down. You're, you're already locked into one room. And as we know from looking at this, there are an infinite number of rooms in it. Mm-hmm. That's very true. It's very true. Well, Greg, where can uh, people contact you? Where can people get the book? Well, you can go on Amazon and get it, or the Kindle is good because it's got 70 extra pages that are not in the print edition if you want to get that, too. Uh-huh. Also, and, you know, it's got links in it and color illustrations that I couldn't put in the regular book. Um, also, it, I get a better cut from that one than I do from the actual printed one, strangely enough. Um, and Lulu has it, too. Um, that's, the, that's the print on demand that I use. Uh, my show is Radio Mysterioso, R-A-D-I-O-M-I-S-T-E-R-I-O-S-O. -E uh, that's at RadioMysterioso.com. And archive there, you can go back. 60, 80, I don't know how many, I've probably got a couple hundred shows. I don't know. Um, archive there. And um, you can listen to any of them at any time, download them, whatever you want to do. And I'm having a live show tonight. And most Sundays I have something, whether a live show or something I've recorded or whatever. Sunday nights, eight o'clock uh, Pacific. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. And, you know, it's got the, uh, the introduction and the picture of the, um, the infamous Criswell. From Plan yeah. <laughs> 9 from Outer Space, Ed Wood fame. <laughs> yes, I've been a fan of that movie since the, the early or mid-80s when I first saw it on cable TV. And I, I had a religious experience. I said, this is one of the stupidest and best <laughs> things I have ever seen. The honesty of the stupidity stunned me. <laughs> it is a classic. It is a yeah. classic. <laughs> For sure, and you know, and, and the 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 um, Tim Burton movie I thought was absolutely one hundred percent exactly the way I thought about yeah. it. Yeah, and that, the, the thing is, like, it's so stupid and so on. But this, and he and he didn't. He was completely unaware of how how ridiculous and silly what he was doing. He didn't care. He just did what he did, and nobody, almost nobody, does that. 
Yeah. People exactly. far more talented than Ed Wood have, have done nothing. Yeah. You know, so it's just an encouragement. Even if you're doing something stupid, go ahead and do it. Cause you, you, you may stumble into greatness. <laughs> <laughs> and I think he did. He definitely stu- stumbled into some yes. kind of infamy. I just yep. love the part in uh, the Ed Wood in the movie, the Tim Burton film where he talks to Criswell and he asks him, how did you know we were going to live on Mars in the future? And, <laughs> I mean, uh, oh. and Criswell says, I made it up. It's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I have a book. I have a book called Criswell Predicts Your Future to the Year 2000 or something signed by Criswell. Really? Have a signed Criswell book. So we're supposed to be living on Mars by now, right? Is that what? Yeah, it is? yeah. And there's supposed to be nudist cities and all kinds of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that's not so bad. <laughs> No, not, it wouldn't be bad at all. Uh, I, you can go to his, if you ever go to LA, his, his, um, his grave marker, I think he got cremated, but his grave marker is right near the Burbank airport. Really? All it says is, it says Criswell predicts uh, Jaron Criswell King and the, and his uh, birth and death dates. That's all on a little tiny brass plaque. He didn't have much money when he died. I'm surprised there's not a Criswell museum. There should oh, don't, be. No, don't, don't stop it. I don't have the money for it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Greg. Thank you so much. Uh, guys, we're going to close this section out. Greg, stay on the line for us, and we will be right back on Conspiracy Normal. Tarot is the art of using cards to peek into the mysteries of the world around us. Have you ever wanted to try tarot to learn more about relationships, work, or finances? Maybe you don't know where to start or feel self-conscious going into one of those parlors. Try Ask Shuffle Cut, a great way to try tarot over email. Check us out at askshufflecut.wix.com slash tarot. That's askshufflecut.wix.com slash tarot. So I love the idea of taking like a, a random word generator and compiling like a, a several paragraphs of like random words and then reading through them and writing down... The hardest thing for me ever, whether it's like a song or a podcast or a band or a book or anything, is just the name. Like I've written so many songs where it's like the songs themselves, it's like, you know, way more words and they just come flying out and then it's time to name it. And it's like, oh, uh, crap. <laughs> like I love that idea. Yeah. No, I hear you. It, it took me a while. Like when I first tried to find a name for this show. And I was like, well, what am I going to call it? Like, I wanted to find something that like sounded like fairly original. Uh-huh. And then I thought of it and I was like, oh, that's perfect. It just kind of came to me. But uh, yeah, I hear you. That would be a good way. That would be a good like exercise to do. Kind of yeah. Like, and it's kind of, exercise. And it's kind of like a, um, like he said, you know, uh, like Greg said, letting your subconscious kind of come up with it on its own. And- right. Right. Exactly. The Luke. Booby Bugalo Show. That's what, what it should have been called. <laughs> Booby Bugalo Show. The, the, the Booby, the Booby Bungalow Show. <laughs> that, that would have made you more interested, right, Luke? Yep, totally. <laughs> totally. I think there was a, a place called that here that closed down a long time ago. I, I remember a radio station talking about the Booby Bungalow or something like that. It was like a Hooters. It's got to be in your mind somewhere, right? <laughs> Maybe it was in my dreams. It could have been. It could have been. I mean, I'm having a serious case of the yawns over here. I don't know what's going on. I guess I'm more tired than I thought I was. 
But uh, Luke, did you enjoy your nap as usual? I did. Conspiracy normal means nappy time for the <laughs> nap time. <laughs> it's Luke's break from reality. He takes a nap and then he goes and gets Taco Bell, and it's <laughs> it's a great day out. I've got a towel with my name on it. I wrote with a sharpie, and I. But first, I had to practice on big boy paper. <laughs> And I lay it out on the ground. <laughs> so what kind of guests would you like? If I what like like what kind of guests would like most interest you, Luke? Like what would be like the topic that would be most interesting to you? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I <laughs> uh The evolution of metal. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I, I guess like someone in a metal band or <laughs> someone in a metal band or Satan or maybe like like, like like a porn well, star or something yes, like that. Definitely. <laughs> we'll never get Satan. I would stay awake for that. Or a satanic porn star. Oh man. Who <laughs> listens to metal? Now you're speaking my language. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh yeah, that was uh, that was a great interview. I, I enjoyed like it got a little more philosophical there towards the end. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah. I like Greg. I like it's his like, ideas and his approach. Right, exactly. And guys, like we said before, I mean, we are going to be uh, in Roswell, New Mexico. We're going to be there for the 70th anniversary. This yes, is something that I've been thinking about for a, a long time. And our um, our good friend Guy Malone is doing uh, a festival out there, uh, as I mentioned before. And uh, I wanted to kind of look it up and talk a little bit about it and who's going to who's going to be out there. Um, have you guys uh, kept up a little bit with like what's in the news lately uh, this last week or so? No, huh. <laughs> I avoid it at all costs these days. Yeah, um, I guess the latest thing so far is. Uh, I just keep seeing everyone talk about this Logan movie or whatever. I don't even know who Logan is. I oh, guess. it's Wolverine. That's Wolverine. It's the new Wolverine yeah. movie. That, okay, that's it's the last movie that has uh, Hugh Jackman in it. Okay, yeah. that's playing what, playing Wolverine. That's what I gathered. But everyone keeps posting these memes about like it was, it's like the guys from X Men like looking all super old and wrinkly and stuff. Well, they are getting kind of old. I mean, Hugh Jackman's not going to do it anymore because he's in his 50s. And I think this is the last time he's doing it. He's, Patrick he's, Stewart's getting up there, he's too. He's getting a walker now. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> but the blades only come halfway out of his hands. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> well, the only thing that I really saw this week, and of course, you know, the whole, like, you know, Trump-Russia thing is still going on. And then the latest thing that I saw was that uh, Trump tweeted about uh, Obama had bugged Trump Tower. And so far, that's the latest issue. <laughs> it just keeps getting worse and worse. And things keep getting dumber and dumber. Why would Obama care at this point? Well, I think it was because <laughs> about the... Well, it was before Obama was out of office. He just signed like a $60 million book deal or something like yeah i don't think he does care i don't think he does care um but this apparently was before he was out of office or something like that um i did um and i don't have any clips on it but uh there was a uh apparently at uc berkeley there was a protest 
that was led by a pro-Trump group. And apparently it turned into a big riot of left versus right. And people did get hurt, apparently. And But I don't know what you really expect when you go to UC Berkeley, one of the most left-leaning schools of the country, and go in there with your Amer- Make America Great Again hats, yelling USA, and le- yelling about how they're liberals and they suck. I'm like, what do you expect is going to happen? Uh, <laughs> I mean, honestly, hmm. it's almost just like asking for it. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> especially with the powder keg of a nation that we have right yes. now. I'm surprised this kind of thing doesn't happen more often. <laughs> Let, yes. Let, let me go in a Christian church and just like start yelling obscenities at the back row. Yeah, just start screaming Satan in the back row, right? <laughs> they'll, they'll probably do an exorcism on d- you. In the middle of the sermon, everyone's quiet. I'm just back there like, boring. It <laughs> 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 wouldn't go over so well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like just walking into the fire. Well, like actually the funniest part of this whole thing was that uh, – when it became an open fight, there was a guy, okay, that had like this red, white, and blue helmet. And obviously he was on the Trump side, right? Apparently. And he had a shield with like a Captain America symbol on it. And he had like some kind of like <laughs> stick or something that he was be- trying to beat people with and defending, defending himself with and a black cape on. Like what is this? I mean, this is just this is this is the this is absurdity. He's defending so, America, Adam. So so he showed up to a peaceful protest with a shield and a club. Oh no, I don't even. I don't think it was even a peaceful protest. It was just like apparently they were going to protest at UC Berkeley. Yeah, he shows up with a shield. So he's like, I should better bring my shield yeah. and my club. Yeah, right, right. non peaceful protest. Yes. Yeah, I mean, this is what I'm. This this is the stuff that I'm talking about, though. Like us going into Weimar Republic level street fighting i mean that's that's literally as bad as it was and this was after the whole like milo yiannopoulos thing where he got where they they protested and he got shut down and then well you know that whole thing has exploded lately with the whole pedophilia charges on him and oh yeah saying that he you know (laughs) My, that, uh, what, just uh, ridiculous. One of my managers today said that he was going to go get a bear costume because he was making fun of metal. And the fact that me and Ben were listening to metal on the back line is that he's going to go get a bear costume and make a style of metal called pedocore. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what that means, man. <laughs> but uh, so... The 70th anniversary Roswell UFO Festival. I mean, a guy has this on here. Uh, He's got several people announced. Um, We The conference that we're going to be at is the 70 years later, modern challenges to the extraterrestrial hypothesis. Okay, this is going to be uh, June 29th, 30th, and then July 1st and 2nd. Uh, we're going to be doing several things. And of course, Greg Bishop, uh, who we just spoke to, is going to be there. Guy Malone, of course. Uh, Nick Redfern. Uh, guy named Jack Brewer, who we've not have on, but he's, he's had a sh- uh, book called The Grays Have Been Framed. 
exploitation and ufology and the intersection of the intelligence and UFO communities. So that sounds interesting. Uh, Dr. Michael Heiser, uh, who we've had on, I'm trying to get back on here in the next couple of months, uh, evaluating the claims works of Zachariah Sitchin. So there you go. Uh, Joe Jordan also as someone that uh, comes at this from a Christian point of view, just like guy does. Uh, we're going to have him on next month. I've got that confirmed. Uh, so we're going to be talking to a lot of these people over the next few months, uh, next couple of months and, uh, pushing this thing pretty hard. So you can find the, out about this at RoswellUFOFestival.com and, uh, to, uh, go to the conference, I believe like one person, it's like $99 to go. And yeah, it's, and it's days. they've they've gone out of their way to make it a real family friendly sort of affair. There's all kinds of other stuff going on. They've got music and uh, between tell, speeches and what's uh, that, Luke? Tell me this though. Yes, is there going to be more chicks than the Paradigm Symposium? I really oh. cannot tell you that. <laughs> I really do not know. I can. I'm yes, sure there Luke, are, yes, there will be. I'm sure there are women in Roswell. Oh, oh. I'm certain of that. Or or the prior, the prior one in, in Louisville, the uh, paranormal <laughs> convention. Also, well, no chicks present. Sir, you're, you sound you're, like you've been burned a couple of times. <laughs> you're, you're taken anyway, so I don't know what you're, what, you know. Does it? Does I'm the it one that's going to be single here pretty soon, so, you know. He's worried about you. He's just concerned for you. Oh, he wants exactly. to be my wingman. Yeah. yeah. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. I got gotcha. you. Exactly. Okay. okay. I want to, I want to hear some stories so I can live vicariously through you. All right, thank you, sir. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, there's going to be uh, actually the uh, Finnish um, bikini team is going to be there, Luke. Um, I forgot to tell you that. Yeah. Okay. They're going to be I a guys' you. conference at the Roswell Mall. Can we throw beads at them? Sure. Whatever you want to do. <laughs> I mean, you, you never know. You might, you might find some, you might find some, some freaky, like hippie UFO chick. You never know. You, so, you never know how that's going to, how so that's going to turn out. So you're saying it's going to be like a, a UFO convention crossed with like slamming and jamming. <laughs> I'm so down. Well, you never know. Uh, Rob, uh, tell everybody where they can find us and also, uh, about, our Patreon, which we are going to have a third Patreon episode up here pretty soon. That's right. And we've got another one scheduled, I think, already. Yeah, we do. So that's going to be, you know, what are we on our fourth? Yeah. Our fourth special episode for all of our, our lovely Patreons. And you can sign up by going to patreon.com slash conspiranormal. There's different tiers if you want to get involved. Uh, there's just the you know, forum access so we can all communicate and you can post your thoughts and whatever. And then you can, you know, next tier up is you get these bonus episodes. Uh, if you don't feel like contributing there and you just want to give us, you know, you want to donate something to show, you can do that on the website at conspiranormal.com. And if you don't want to do that, cause you're short on money, we totally understand because so are we, but you can also just give us a five star review on iTunes or Stitcher. And we really appreciate that. Yep. Yep. Or as always, just email us. We love hearing from everybody. Yeah, and stop being a bunch of cheapskates and, and just donate, dude. Just <laughs> I'd like to leave us with this. Um, this was, uh, this is kind of uh, from a, uh, something we discussed not long ago on the show. Um, this is a meme that's going on Facebook right now. And just, I just want to let this sink in 
as we uh, consider the guy with the Captain America shield and the <laughs> stick beating beating up them liberals on the Ber- UC Berkeley campus. Uh, here's something to make you think. 13 years old, Tarnish Abraham already has three college degrees, been accepted to two universities, and plans on becoming an engineer, doctor, and a medical researcher before he turns 18. Relatively unknown, very little media, just a few fans. 13-year-old Danielle Brigoli dropped out of seventh grade, extensive criminal record, barely literate, and known for her bad attitude, has million Instagram followers. If you ever just question why America is in decline, think of this and the youth the media glorifies in this country. And cash me outside. How about that? Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.